0: This anointed teaching by Dr. Beverly Volmerins comes to you from Christian Family Church International. He's the lord well why don't you stand wherever you're gathering together let's stand and let's come into the presence of the lord and pray father into your presence we come dear sir to praise and to worship you we say this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it father we want to thank you for giving us Jesus thank you for our salvation thank you for giving us a precious holy spirit holy spirit I thank you that your eyes are big within me now that you're through my mind and speak through my lips of claim, And I declare that I'm a servant, ready to be used by the Master. And Father I thank you that I will declare your word fearlessly, boldly accurately, carried by the wind of the Spirit. Thank you for fresh revelation. Thank you for fresh anointing. Thank you that fear will be dispelled but faith will rise up in the heart of your people. Father I thank you that your word will go into us like a seed. It'll germinate, it'll grow up and we are Christian families church we will not only be hearers of the word but father we are doers of the word in jesus name and everybody said hallelujah and you may be seated the title of my message is fire of revival fire of revival family god has not given us a spirit of fear but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And we are not going to be moved by what we see. We are not going to be moved by what we hear on the TV or the radio. We are not going to be moved by anything else except the Word of God because you and I are Word people. We are built on the Word of God. And we are going to believe for nothing less than a mighty revival, for our nation, for our land, for our continent, for our neighbors, for our neighborhood. We are going to believe God for a mighty revival to sweep like a fire from Cape Town to Cairo. In Jesus' name, glory to God. You know what, family? Apostle Theo has always taught us, hasn't he? That we must build our lives on the word of God, which is a rock, so when the storms come, when the winds come, when the waves come and beat against our house, we are not going to be shaken. We are not going to be shaken, but we're going to be standing. We're going to be light to the world. Now, you know, true revival will come to a city. True revival will come to a nation. But do you know, family, it is up to us, the born again believer to change our city. I remember one time reading about Kenneth E. Hagen. It was many, many years ago, of course he's gone to be with the Lord now, but many years ago he told a story how he saw a swarm of demons coming out of the sea and they were going to come onto America. And he said, Lord, what is this? And the Lord spoke to him and he said, I am going to hold the church responsible for the condition of their nation. I'm not holding the president responsible. I'm holding the born again believers responsible for the condition of their nation. He said, because in Luke 10, 19, it says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and of all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. In other words, he's saying God told Kenneth E. Hagen, it is up to us, the born-again believer, to take control of the situation around us, and that is exactly what we are going to do fam right here in our nation. We are going to believe God for a change in our nation. We're going to believe that the very cities that we live in and our nation is going to be changed and we are going to change the course of this nation and we're going to change history. In Jesus' name, glory to God. But when revival comes to a land, it is not just for the benefit of one church or one people or one, one nation. It is for the whole nation. It's for the every denomination will get involved in believing God for a change in their cities, in their neighborhoods, in their towns because revival truly transcends denominational barriers. And if you read history books, they're filled with exciting revivals. Glory to God. Revivals that have changed cities, changed neighborhoods, and changed nations. Oh, family, it's revival time. Time for the church to rise up and take her rightful place in the earth. It is time for souls to be swept in into the kingdom. It's time for the people to be delivered from fear and set free from the da- powers of darkness in Jesus' name. It is time for us to believe God to open the windows of heaven, to come down in might and in His power and change this nation. Praise God. We are believing for supernatural miracles, signs and wonders. Praise the Lord, family. You are going to work miracles, signs and wonders. It is for the whole body of Christ, not just for the preacher, but for everybody. And you will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and you will cast out the devil and they will flee in terror. Glory to God. But how many of us today, we will say, I want to be a part of the solution. I believe you and I, we're going to be part of the solution. How many of you watching me will say, Pastor Beth, count me in. Right there in your fellowship group, fellowship group. Right there in your fellowship group, wherever you are gathering in the name of Jesus, will you say, count me in. Today, we're going to have a look at a few revivals of old so we can be inspired to see what God did in the, in the times of old. But family, God has not changed. And His power has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Glory to God. He is still the Alpha and Omega and the beginning and the end. Let's have a look at 1728 in England. It was a time in their history which was a particularly dark period of history. In fact, if you read the history books, it says that the spiritual state was at an all-time low. In other words, there, were, there wasn't a move of God. People were not going to church. People were not loving God. People were not serving God. It was an all-time low. There was a gentleman by the name of Bishop Berkeley and he wrote that the morality and the religion in in Britain had collapsed to the degree that they had never known in any Christian country. It was so bad the name of Christ was not being preached. In fact, the era of that time was described as follows. The whole population seemed to be given over to orgies of drunkenness. It seemed that the whole of Britain was full of orgies of drunkenness. They said that gambling was so excessive in those days that one historian described England, England as one vast casino. Can you imagine that? They said 97% of the infant poor that worked in the workhouses, they died as children. The theaters, they said, was disgusting. They were obscene. They were uh, corrupt. The literature of those days, we would say, was just basically pornographic. There was violence, all over England, they said the violence was unchecked. There was gangs. Well, are there gangs today? Is there violence today? Are there drunken thugs today? Are there drunken orgies today? Absolutely. Much like what was going on today went on in England at that time. So England would have plummeted into her destruction had it not been for one young man. Glory to God. And his name was John Wesley. Many of you might have heard of John Wesley. Well, he had become a missionary to America in 1735. But in 1738, just a few years later, he was very frustrated and he decided he was going to leave the ministry in America and he was going to sail back to England. In fact, he wrote in his diary, he said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? On May the 23rd in 1738, he attended a Christian meeting in England and he gave his heart to the Lord. And guess what? The fire of God started burning in his heart and he began to preach the gospel to everyone that he could. And I'm believing God that the fire of God is going to burn in our hearts and we are going to preach the gospel to every single person as God leads us to. Now, Wesley was not welcome in many of the churches in England because he was looked down upon as one of, the, of those religious enthusiasts, or we would say religious fanatics. And maybe this was a blessing in disguise because he was not permitted to go and preach in the churches. So guess where he went? He went to preach in the prisons. He went to preach in the hospitals. He went to preach in places called workhouses. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel and people accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and they were saved. In fact, multitudes responded to the good news that Jesus saves. In fact, Wesley supervised the education of the lay preachers. He educated people about small cell groups, as we call them, fellowship groups. So praise God, we are still on track in fellowship groups. It's important to be in a fellowship group. We can be motivated. We can be prayed for by our peers and our colleagues and our friends and our family in a fellowship group. But he taught them discipline in the fellowship group and he taught them faithfulness in a time that we lived. Now, family, we have got to be faithful, faithful in our fellowship group, faithful with serving God, faithful with serving where we can. But the revival cut across denominational lines and touched every class of society in England. In fact, in England itself was transformed. And the course of that nation was drastically altered because of the one man whose heart was on fire for God. How many of you might say, Pastor Pep, I am going to be that one person. God can put his fire in my heart and I will change this nation. Glory to God. Hallelujah. John Wesley did more for England than all the experts and the reformers of the day. And the legacy of Wesley read as follows. John Wesley left six silver spoons and the Methodist church. What an inheritance. What a heritage. What a legacy. Maximum spiritual accomplishment and minimal material possessions. Now in 1928, Archbishop Davison, he wrote that Wesley practically changed the outlook and even the character of the English nation. Oh, family, where is a John Wesley's off today? Am I seeing a John Wesley? I believe there's a John Wesley under the sound of my voice that the fire of God is going to get in your heart and you're going to burn on fire and you're going to tell everybody about the salvation, about the good news of Jesus Christ still saves today. He heals today. He loves today. And He wants to help us in everyday life. If England could be changed, then family, this nation can be changed, this nation shall be changed, as as Rainer Bonker said, Africa shall be saved, glory to God, Africa shall be saved, well the greatest spiritual awakening, awakening known in the USA, was triggered by a noonday prayer meeting, on July the 1st, 1857, there was a quiet businessman. His name was Jeremiah Lampier. He gave up his businesses. He was a businessman. He gave up his business because he felt the call of God to become a missionary in downtown New York. He was appointed by a church because, actually of the Dutch Reformed Church, because the church had suffered loss. Their people were leaving. The congregation was moving out of downtown New York and they were going to go and live in the suburbs, which were much nicer than downtown New York. And so he was appointed by the church to help the church increase in its church attendance. So he decided, well, the best thing I could do to get the attendance to grow is to have a prayer meeting. That sounds good, doesn't it? A prayer meeting. But guess what? He decided to have a, a prayer meeting for the businessmen in New York. And at the very first prayer meeting, guess how many people came? Yes, you guessed it, just six people turned up. It was held on the third floor of the Dutch Reformed Church in Fulton Street. But by the next week, there were 20. And the third week, there were 30 and 40 men. And by mid-November, the lecture rooms were full of men praying for their city. Within six months, the noontime prayer meeting actually attracted tens of Thousands of businessmen who were confessing their sins, getting saved and praying for revival in their city. Come on, men. We're going to have a revival in our city. Thank God we can pray. Thank God we know how to pray. We're going to pray until something happens, right? In fact, a, a Boston journalist gave a picture of what it was like in those early prayer meetings. He said, The prayer meeting began precisely at 12 p.m. and it it ended exactly on the hour at 1 p.m. He said that the room was fully crowded and the interest seemed to um, get greater and greater day by day. And what began as just a modest prayer meeting, which was held once a week, now seemed to demand more frequent meetings. It was the rule of that place that anyone could come and go as they pleased during that time of the prayer meeting. But everybody came, all different kind of men. There was a former, the formal stately Dutchman, And then there was the impulsive Methodist. Can you imagine? Yes, the Methodists were impulsive. They couldn't stop saying hallelujah and praise the Lord and amen. And then there was a sober Dutchman with all the Yankee restlessness on his face. And then there was the Baptist and the Presbyterian. They all came in and they prayed as one. There was not one woman that was present in these prayer meetings. And then when the men began to sing, it said it was so beautiful to hear the chorus of men as they began to lift their voices and worship the Lord. But the effect was so tremendous on the city that many ministers began nightly services in which they led the men to the Lord. And then it was a chain reaction. Church after church began holding morning, noon, and evening services for both prayer and counseling for those who were concerned about their souls. In fact, listen to this. The ships that were coming into the New York Harbor, they came under the power of God's presence. And one ship, on the one ship, the captain and 30 of his men were converted to Christ before the ship had docked in the bay glory to God in the harbor the sailors, they just felt the presence of God and they knelt down and they, in the depths of their battleship called the North Carolina, and they gave their hearts to the Lord. And they began to start worshiping with the Lord and beginning to sing. And you know what? The ungodly shipmates, they began to make fun of them. And you know what happened to the ungodly shipmates? The power of God gripped them and they humbly knelt and began to confess their sins and got born again. Can you imagine, family, when the planes come into our area, that they come in and even the pilots and the crew and everybody in the planes, they feel the presence of God. They just want to say, God, I need to get to know you as my personal Savior. Imagine if in the taxis and the trains and the public transport, but the presence of God came in the taxis, and they just started weeping under the presence of God. This is possible if we pray. When the news spread that there were daily prayer meetings where sinners were welcome, where sinners were prayed for and encouraged to turn to Christ, some very hardened criminals gave their lives to the Lord. Many thousands left crime, glory to God, they devoted themselves to serving Jesus and crime was was drastically declined. Don't we need that? Don't we need crime to drastically decline? Well, family, it is not up to the police. It is not up to the authorities. It is up to us. How? We're going to pray for our cities. We're going to pray for the souls of the men and women that God can change their heart, take out the stony heart, and make it soft towards the kingdom of God. In fact, The same thing was soon reported all over the nation, from New York to California, from Florida to Maine. Wouldn't it be amazing if we heard from Johannesburg to Cape Town and all over the city of South Africa, the nation of South Africa, everywhere the presence of God came down and affected the people in those cities? It affected judges and college students and and housewives and businessmen. At times, schools had to close because they went down on their knees and they prayed to seek God. Wow, wow, that would be awesome. (laughs) Imagine our children, they're on the floor and they're praying and they want to see God. It can happen, family, but remember, it is up to us. It is our responsibility now under the third awakening in America, it was the layman who moved out to evangelize. The revival was considered one of the greatest awakenings experienced in America. Little did Jeremiah Lampere realize that what he had birthed in his own heart would be the beginning of the greatest national revival, which would sweep across America and it was estimated that one million people gave their hearts to the Lord and guess what? A further million backslidden Christians came back into church. Praise God. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to pray for those who are lukewarm. We're going to pray for the backslidden, that they come back to church. It can be done, family, and it will be done. It is up to us and we can do this. Hallelujah. Africa shall be saved. Glory to God. James McKillan, which a young Irish man, when he heard about the revival in America, he said to himself, why may we not have such a blessed work here in Ireland? And he shared his burden with a couple of his friends, three in fact, and the fire of God went into their heart and consumed them and they decided they too were going to start a prayer meeting. The prayer meetings became so crowded and the revival of fire began to spread across the nation. The revival, which was originated in a prayer meeting of just four young men in a little village schoolhouse, made a greater impact spiritually on Ireland than anyone had known since the days of St. Patrick. Oh, come on, family. It doesn't matter where we gather. We can be in a schoolhouse, in our fellowship groups, but we pray and ask God for the fire of God to burn in our hearts and change our city and nation. In fact, the revival, which started in 1859, swept across 100,000 converts into the churches of Ireland. I can see every church filled to capacity in South Africa. We have revival. Let the revival fire burn in our hearts. We receive it now, Father, in Jesus' name. Put the fire of God in our hearts, Father. Let us not be lukewarm. Let us not be complacent. But let us have the fire burning, Father. We can make a difference in our nation. Glory to God. In 1949, in a little cottage near Barvis Village on the Isle of Lewis in the Scottish Hebrides, there was an 84 year old blind woman by the name of Peggy Smith. She and her sister, Christine, who was 82, they began to get together to pray. Can you imagine? 84. And 82, two sisters got together and prayed. So we cannot say that we are too old for God to use us. We're not too young and we're not too old. God can use us. They were so burdened for their church because there was not one single young person in their church. And so a verse that really gripped their heart was Isaiah 44. Four, verse 3, it says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. In the NET translation, says, For I will pour water on the parched ground and cause streams to flow on the dry land. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your children. And they were determined to pray until God visited their island. Here we have two old women. They are humble. They're in a little cottage. But they prayed from 10 o'clock at night until 3 or 4 in the morning. One night, Peggy had a dream. And in the dream, God showed a revival that they had been passionately praying for was close at hand. At that time, revival seemed almost impossible because World War II had taken its toll. Men had left the island to serve in the armed forces, and some of them never returned. But those who did come back, they were disillusioned, they were exhausted, they were confused. And by 1949, the younger generation had very little interest in spiritual matters. But after her dream, Peggy called for her pastor and told him all about the dream. And she asked him, please, won't you call all the church pastors and leaders so that we can pray, pray for our island, pray for our young people, that God would touch their hearts. We need a revival in our young people. For three months, he and other pastors, they met three times a week. They were seeking God for revival. And after one and a half months of praying, a young deacon got up and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And as he said that, he fell into a trance. And after that, the power of God swept into the barn where they were praying. And then awareness of God swept over the community as such have not seen for the last hundred years. Duncan Campbell described what happened. He said, God was beginning to move and the heavens were open and we were on our faces before God. He said, something had happened. They knew that the forces of darkness were going to be driven back. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to drive back the forces of darkness because all authority has been given to us. And revival had begun. The churches were packed out. There was a sovereign move of God over that island, and we're believing God for a sovereign move over our nation, over our city. Africa shall be saved. South Africa shall be saved. Johannesburg shall be saved. Cape Town shall be saved. Every city, every part of our nation will be saved, will experience a sovereign move of God in these days in Jesus' name. There was a hundred young people in a nightclub, but suddenly, they felt the power of God, and it felt that the power of God filled the room. The music stopped in a few minutes. The club emptied out, and the young people, they, found, they felt in their heart they had to find a church to go to. Nobody told them, you've got to go to church. But when the Spirit of God fell in the nightclub, they knew they had to find God. There was a hunger, there was a thirst for God, and it gripped the island. A schoolmaster was looking over his papers 15 miles away from the island. Suddenly, suddenly he was gripped by the fear of God. He told his wife, he said, I've got to catch a ferry. I've got to go to Brabus, that little village where I've heard there is a revival. She thought he just wanted to go out drinking because he was a hard drinker. He said to his wife, If I know anything about my own mind and my own heart, I will never touch a drink again. He caught the ferry, he went to the meeting, and he got born again. But perhaps... Closed town. The Spirit of God moved over that island in such a way that people were beginning to kneel on the pavements. They were asking God for mercy. And this revival went on for three years until the whole island was swept under the mighty power of God. Many young people got born again and got saved in that revival. And many of them went to Bible school. And many were sent all over the world as missionaries because it started with two old ladies who wanted to see God move amongst the young people. The whole island was changed because of these ladies. They refuse to give up on the island and we will refuse to give up on the nation of South Africa. We refuse to give up on Johannesburg, Cape Town, wherever you may live. We refuse to give up. We are going to see the hand of God fall on us and our people and people around about us. And we are not going to stop praying until we see a sovereign move of God. Thank God for men and women who know how to pray. I believe, family, we are at the crossroads of our nation. It is time for us to step up and say, Jesus, here I am. You can count on me to do my part to change the world that I live in. Family, it's time for us to rise up. We've got to be the light in the dark. And don't forget, you are the most powerful creature walking on this planet. You are the born-again, spirit Christian. So family, come on, take your place. Trust God for the fire of revival to be ignited in our hearts, in our nation, in our land. This is a time that we will create, create it for. Family, we can do this. We can have revival. God can move in our lives, in our families' lives, in our children's lives. What an exciting time to live. Come on, family. Let's change our world, and let the fire of revival fall in our hearts. Well, I believe that you'll be encouraged to pray and encouraged to change the world that we live. And remember, family, Apostle Theo and I love you with all our hearts, and we are praying for you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God.